chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. This happens to be one of the most important passages in all of the Bible. And uh, so I invite your attention to God's Word. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one finds that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel? and do not understand these things? Truly I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no one hath ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven even the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe in him has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light is come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest as having been wrought in God. May God bless to our understanding this important part of his word.
I'm glad that Andy made the announcement about the uh, wedding for David Wilson a moment ago, and I was thinking uh, how important anniversaries are and how important September the 4th was, because that happens to be my own anniversary. And uh, this week we will have been married 31 years, and uh, we'll go out to McDonald's and celebrate <laughs> and, <laughs> and do something really important. Uh, but you know, when I think about anniversaries, the most unusual anniversary notice that I've ever received, and I have a copy of it up here in front of me, I keep it encased in plastic because uh, it is very dear to me. It came originally in a doubled envelope on paneled parchment printed in letters of gold. And these are the words, 1890 to 1940. You are cordially invited to rejoice with Miss M. Moss Richardson honoring the golden anniversary of her conversion at 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning, the 3rd of September, 1940. How sweet the time has been. Psalm 8410, Psalm 956, Malachi 310. Now you don't get many such anniversary notices like that, but I knew this remarkable Christian lady and she kept very faithfully her birthdays, marking the years that went by. But she always said that she would much rather never have had the first birth than to have missed the second birth. She was converted in what used to be called a revival meeting in the little town of Paris in East Texas when she was 16 years of age. Since there was only one little 16-year-old who came forward, the people who conducted the meeting thought it to be a great failure. But how wrong they were. Uh, to my own knowledge, she put almost 50 young people through college. She was a great uh, teacher and a, a great Christian and had a profound influence on many of us for Jesus Christ. Now this brings us to our theme today, because we are going to, last week we were talking about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, a persecutor of the church, a persecutor of believers in Jesus, a man who saw a light on the road to Damascus that was brighter than a thousand suns, that shone round about him and caused him to cry out, who art thou, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Because you cannot persecute a Christian without persecuting Jesus. And you remember that Saul of Tarsus went into Damascus, not with great power and pomp as he had planned to go, as the grand inquisitor to torture and to place Christians in prison, but he was led in by the hand, blind. And then I told you that some of the sweetest words in all of the Bible were spoken by a Christian named Ananias, who greeted this man who had been the severe persecutor of the church with the, with the words, Brother Saul, the Lord has appeared to me in a vision and told me what has happened to you. 
Now, the reason that I have stressed this conversion is that it is necessary, just as my old and dear friend sent out a notice remembering distinctly when at 16 she gave her heart to Christ, how important it is for us to know that we have yielded our lives to his lordship too. One of the great fathers of the Presbyterian Church was a wee tiny Scotsman named Samuel Rutherford, a tiny little man who was a great preacher of the gospel and a professor of divinity at the University of St. Andrews. He said, fool that I was, I let my son rise far into the heavens before I found Jesus as my Lord. Well, actually, it is the Lord who usually finds us rather than we find him. But there are ways by which we may come close to him. And you see it here when this man Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He has a certain curiosity about this miracle worker who speaks magic golden words that have so affected and touched the minds and hearts of many that he wants to go to where Jesus is and he wants to speak of him. Now he is embarrassed perhaps to go in the midst of the day and see him, and so he goes under the cloak of darkness at night. I wonder how many people today are afraid to read the Bible or to be seen with Christian people or to make a diligent inquiry about Jesus because they are embarrassed by what some people might think. The church makes a great mistake when it does not emphasize again and again the importance of conversion. When we do not do it, Hollywood picks it up. If you see the motion picture E.T., uh, you will see some demonstration of how a close encounter from the third kind is trying to reach you. I remember seeing uh, the uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind two or three times. There are very few movies that I go to, but if I like one, I go four or five times uh, to see it, to try to understand it. And if you saw that particular film, uh, you will remember that uh, uh, it is a secular alternative to the Christian experience of God in conversion. Uh, the film critics deny that. And they say it's pure entertainment, but I disagree with them. If you look at pictures like the two that I have mentioned, films, you will see that number one, emblazoned often on the marquee of the movie theater, there will be a sign that says, we are not alone. We are not alone. We are not condemned to live our lives in what a famous atheist named Bertrand Russell called cosmic loneliness. But we are being told that there are superior beings out there who are trying to reach us. Two, we are told that they are friendly. The little Martian in E.T. is friendly. They are, in, they are awe-inspiring in their power, but friendly, and they take the initiative to make contact with us 
That is the secular equivalent of grace. God took the initiative and made contact with us when he spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, when he spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, when God was born in a stable in Bethlehem. And if you see, saw either of the films, the bourgeoisie suburbanites are excluded from transcendence by their incredulity. They dismiss believers as being mad. Four, the establishment symbolized by the army and close encounters of the third kind not only disbelieve themselves but do their best to stop others from believing. Five, little children. Little children like four-year-old Barry in Close Encounters respond to the call of the transcendent with joy and eagerness and have no fear. And do you remember some words that Jesus said, the secular equivalent to his command that we were to be childlike? These things, said Jesus, are revealed to babes and children. And in Close Encounters, the simple believers like Roy Neary cannot be put off. He, he says he feels himself invited and even compelled toward a rendezvous which is significantly enough a mountain. And that reminds me of Sinai and Calvary. Seven scientists also discover the truth by their open-minded investigation when the spaceship comes down on the mountain and the scientists fall to their knees before it in wonder and almost in worship. Eight, in the Close Encounter film, with this other reality, it's overwhelming and it brings rapture. And you see some of these same elements in E.T., in fact, all of them. Uh, in that last page of Steven Spielberg's book, we read these words, Neary walked forward towards the spaceship, leading the way deep into the fiery heart of the mystery. And then slowly the great phantom starship began to lift off through layer after layer of clouds until this great city in the sky became the brightest of the brightest stars. And the little boy is sort of resurrected. And you see this copying out there in the secular world. Well, what is man seeking for, even secular man, when he does not know it? He is seeking for transcendence, for God to reach him. And Nicodemus knew that there were promises in the scriptures that said God would do just that. He saw unmistakable signs in Jesus that convinced him that he must be the one who had come from God, the Messiah. And even though the pressures of his sect are great, he goes to Jesus. Under the cloak of darkness, howbeit he goes. I wonder how many of you really want to know God desperately enough to go wherever you need to go and do whatever you need to do in order to know him. 
If you do, the Lord will open himself to you. He will reveal himself to you. He wishes to do that. He was concerned, and so he went to Jesus. I wish I had time in detail to go through this. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus brushes all of this politeness aside and says, unless a man be born from above or again or anew, he can't see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus was no fool. He knew that Jesus didn't mean a literal rebirth into his mother's womb. He stalls for time by saying those words. And then Jesus speaks of water and of the Spirit. Water like the baptism of John, admitting that we are sinners in need of the forgiveness of our sins. We tremble today because we think of the light that shone over New Mexico when a, an atomic bomb was exploded on the day which was called by Julius Oppenheimer Trinity, when an atom bomb went off. And we wonder what will happen to man. Man is sinful, and man needs a savior. That's why Jesus said even to this learned theologian, this old man, this Pharisee, there were many members of the Sanhedrin who were Sadducees, but there were also Pharisees in it. And this Pharisee uh, knew and was intensely religious. He was intellectual. He was rich. He fasted twice a week. And yet there was something missing. And he knew that, it was, that that which was missing was greatly significant. And Jesus tells him that he must be willing to be born of water, which means repentance, the forgiveness of sins, and a reorientation in life. Water and of the Spirit. The wind that was blowing. Listen to the wind, Nicodemus. He said, listen to the wind. The wind may have been blowing in the trees just at that moment. And he said, listen to the wind. That wind that blows, it's eerie and it's powerful and it's strange. God's sovereign work. God moves when and where and how he chooses to move. And God moves in power and in great authority. The other day we were studying in our Bible lesson at morning worship the fact that Jesus told the story of a strange landowner who would go out and hire people even at the last hour of the day and pay them for a full day's work. And Jesus was teaching that God is sovereign. Well, Nicodemus is baffled by this. He is old. How can a man be born again when he is old? You know, it's hard to start over in life. That's like saying to someone, I've spent all my life trying to get a Ph.D., and now you're telling me I'm in the wrong pro profession, that I ought to go into something else. 
I spent all this time getting a CPA when 95% of the people who take the exam flunk it. And now you're telling me to do something else. So people don't always want to start over again. And yet Nicodemus is told that there has to be a radical new beginning. And he listens. He doesn't quite know how to take it in. And I think that Jesus speaks to him the greatest verse in the whole Bible. <clears throat> he tells him that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That God's transcendence makes man significant and speaks to him and redeems him and brings him into the community of the redeemed. And this is what Nicodemus needs to know. If we had the time, you could turn to the seventh chapter of the Gospel of John, and you could read how that the officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees and said to them, why do you not bring uh, Jesus here? And the officer, the officer said, uh, never did a man speak like this man. They had sent him to arrest Jesus. And they came back and didn't have him. Then the Pharisees therefore answered and said, uh, You have not also been led astray, have you? Even the, the police from the Sanhedrin couldn't arrest him. No one of the rulers of the Pharisees has believed in him, has he? None of the big shot religious people believe in him, has he? Just as though that mattered. But this multitude which does not know the law is a curse. Nicodemus, we are told. Now this is in John 7:50. Nicodemus said to them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? And they answered him with scorn. They said to Nicodemus, You are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see, for no prophet arises out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own home. But I have an idea that that night Nicodemus went home with another member of the Sanhedrin, Joseph of Arimathea, and that they talked, is this really the Messiah? Let's pour over the, the passages that predict the coming of the Messiah. Maybe this is he. And he went from that curiosity that led him to go to Jesus at night uh, to a step further, a concerned study of who he might be. And then we have no time for the last part, but in the 19th chapter of John, this same one who came by night goes with Joseph of Arimathea and begs Pilate for the body of Jesus. And they wrap it and place it in the tomb. No longer does he care what anybody says. He goes public with his conviction and his commitment to the lordship of Jesus Christ over his life. He has heard him on the cross cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And when he realizes that all the plan of God has come together in that infant born in Bethlehem, and that all the incredible plan of the universe is culminated in what has happened on that cross. He knows that that means his redemption, and Nicodemus is no longer afraid. 
he has come into the light and the cross has brought to him salvation. And that cross brings to us salvation too because the new birth is, as T.S. Eliot found it, hard and bitter agony for us. It is like birth, our birth, and it is like death, our death, for we die to self in order to live to Jesus Christ. Let me close. I remember once hearing Major Ian Thomas, who was here in our area this summer. He was watching the Olympics. The Olympics are going to be held in Los Angeles before long. He was watching the Olympics and he saw a schoolmaster who was competing in the high diving contest. And this schoolmaster on BBC TV was covering it. And he was watching it on television. And uh, the man came out before he was to uh, execute a dive from the top tower. And he walked over to the Olympic pool and he stuffed his toe into the water. And stuffed his toe in the water and then brought his toe out of the water. Then he went up to the first tower, the second tower, the third tower, and he got all the way up to the top. And then he came out and executed a perfect dive to the applause and the thrill of all the British that were present. And then uh, because uh, he was the winner of a gold medal, he was interviewed. And one of the interviewers who put the microphone in front of him said to him, do you mind if I ask you a strange question? And he said, no. And he said, I noticed that before you climbed the tower, you walked over and put your foot in the water. Why did you do that? And the man smiled and he said, I'm a school teacher. And I live out in the uh, country. And I have to drive some distance to where there is an Olympic tower. And he said, I know this sounds crazy to you, but you ask me and I'll tell you. He said, I came in one sultry hot night, determined that I would go through my diving routine. And I went to the pool and I started up the tower and I got to the first tower and I got to the second tower and I got to the third tower. And I walked out on the diving board and he said, I stretched out my arms and prepared to dive and I looked down at the pool and I saw, silhouetted by the moon, which was in back of me, for it was night, the shadow of a cross on that pool below. And he said it created an eerie feeling within me, and I dropped my arms and stepped back. And then he said I stepped forward again, and I went through my movements and prepared to dive but when I stretched out my arms and looked at that cross, something grabbed me, and he said, I couldn't die. I just stepped back. And then he said, I came down from that top tower and the second tower and the last tower, and I walked over and looked into the pool, and there was not one drop of water in the pool. He said, the shadow of the cross saved me. 
Now, this is what it all comes to here in the conversation with Nicodemus. This is the condemnation, said Jesus at the conclusion, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds are evil. Men are not condemned because they are great sinners. They are condemned because they will not come to the light and because they will not receive what God has offered to them in salvation, which leads them to a new lordship and a new birth in him. If you've never come to that place in your life, you can, in the secret place of your own heart. You can give as much of yourself as you know how to give to as much of him as you understand. But don't play with God. The secularists are playing with it. You be real. And if you are willing to be real with him, then he will speak with you. Then maybe you can send out an anniversary notice after 50 years and know that the longer you serve him, the sweeter it grows. Let us pray. Oh God, our Father, we thank you for these great old hymns of the faith and for this remarkable passage of Scripture that we've touched today. But we need the greater ministry of the greater teacher, even the Holy Spirit, to show us what it all means. And so we pray that you will follow us from this place, helping us to make whatever commitment we need to make to thee that will honor thee and that will allow thee to have your full lordship and reign over our lives. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our teacher and our guide, be and abide with us all, both now and forevermore.